morning listeners we are back again with another episode of poetry talks today we are tackling a palestinian poet Darwish, mohammed mahmoud yes mahmoud Darwish, mahmoud Darwish. yes before um we get into his work i want to i want to introduce you guys to maryam schwab yeah yes she's uh say hello hi she's an undergraduate student at fcc college currently studying political science economics and human rights there have been a lot of conflicts going on in palestine palestine lately i have a french accent that's palestine or palestine 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 i have been um there's been a lot of things going on in palestine um and these conflicts um have they have been there in the country for the longest right 74 years to be exact yeah that's a long time yes but before uh, um, we get into that i want um, to introduce you properly maryam so can you please tell us a little bit more about yourself and what have brought you to the show of course so hello everyone for those of you who don't know me my name is maryam i am a junior studying political science economics and human rights at saint francis college I am also the vice president of the Student Government Association and the president and founder of the Middle Eastern Students Association. Woo! And, and so the one thing that really, um, I guess, had me gravitate towards coming on to Poetry Talks is just the ability to share what is currently going on in Palestine with respect to the occupation and um, to put quite bluntly, like the ethnic cleansing program that is being facilitated against Palestinians. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't noticed until now... I am Palestinian American. Uh, my family, mom and dad, are from Palestine, and so a lot of my identities kind of revolved around Palestinian advocacy. And I thought that what other way to kind of practice this advocacy than kind of using every resource that is available to me? Um, and so I feel like poetry talks is a really great opportunity to not only enlighten people about what's going on in Palestine, but also to share a very meaningful poems through a lot of impactful poets like Mahmoud Darwish. I'm really trying. Uh, but um, before, um, we are going to get into all of this, but I want to shine, shine um, lights on the poet first. So um, if you don't mind, Miriam, can you please read this biography? Of course, of course. So just a little bit of a backdrop as to who Mahmoud Darwish is. He was born in 1941 in Al-Birwa in the Western Galilee. Darwish is... Palestine's most renowned poet and is one of the pillars of modern Arab poetry. Among his published works, he has over 30 poetry collections, several prose books and articles. Um, and so, so yeah, that's, that's a really um, accomplished, like, um, poet, really honorable. Right. So today we are going to specifically focus on his poem, Who Am I Without Exile? Um, the poem is written in Arabic. And it was translated by Fadi. Fadi. Fadi Judah. Yes. Um, we will read the poem and dissect it. We are going to dive into relevant topics of the poem. Um, and while we're doing that, um, me and Miriam, we're going to try to relate the poem, um, relate um, the poem to our everyday life and um, see how it's still relevant, relevant today, right? Um, so we are going to read the poem. It's a pretty long poem. You know what? I read it, and um, I took me like it took me like 
maybe three minutes, even though it looks long, but it's very short when you start getting into it. Right. Um, so since you're a Palestinian, I'm going to leave it to you to read the poem. But you can deny if you want. My pleasure. Okay, so who am I without exile? A stranger on the riverbank, like the river, water. Binds me to your name. Nothing brings me back from my far away to my palm tree. Not peace and not war. Nothing. Makes me enter the Gospels. Not a thing. Nothing sparkles from the shore of Ebb and flow between the Euphrates and the Nile. Nothing makes me descend from the Pharaoh's boats. Nothing carries me or makes me carry an idea. Not longing and not promise. What will I do? What will I do without exile and a long night that stares at the water? Water binds me to your name. Nothing takes me from the butterflies of my dreams to my reality, not dust and not fire. What will I do without the roses from Samarkand? What will I do in a theater that burnishes the, the singers with its lunar stones? Our weight has become light like our houses in the faraway winds. What have become two friends of the strange creatures in the clouds, and we are now loosened from the gravities from the gravity of identity's land. What will we, what will we do? What will we do without exile and a long night that stares at the water? Water binds me to your name. There's nothing left of me but you, and nothing left of you but me. A stranger massaging massaging his stranger's thigh. Oh stranger, what will we do with that with what is left to us of calm and of a snooze between two minutes and nothing carries us not the road and not the house was this road always like this from the start or did our dreams find a mare on the hill among the mongol horses and exchange us for it what will we do what will we do without exile Lord. thank you for that wonderful reading of the poem so i have a question before we start right um so can you Obviously, um, the first thing that stands out in the first stanza of the poem is the rivers and the geographical location of Palestine. So can you please give us a little bit of um, information on the location? Right, of course, of the country. Um, actually, he's not necessarily alluding to the location of Palestine in the poem. He refers to the Nile River mm -hmm. um, and the Euphrates, and so the Nile is a really um, long body of water in Egypt, in Cairo specifically. Mm -hmm. um, and so with respect to the location of Palestine, Palestine is located in the Middle East, and it's surrounded by Lebanon, Jordan, Syria, and borders two bodies of water, the Dead Sea and the Mediterranean Sea. Palestine is located in the Levant, which is just another area of the Middle East. Uh, I, I, I asked you that question because I think it's important for our listeners to know exactly where Palestine is. Right. People will just refer to it. Oh, Palestine is in the Middle, uh, Middle East, but um, they don't really know exactly where it is. Like some people will be like, oh, Palestine is in Egypt because you know overall. Definitely, yeah. Um, There's yeah, just discrepancies as to like, pinpointing the location of Palestine, I notice with when I talk about it to others who are not necessarily familiar yeah. um, with the geographical location of it, let alone its political landscape. Um, and I guess the one thing that I like to make really clear is um, that when you whenever you search Palestine on like Google Maps, Grant, yeah, so it doesn't necessarily come up as Palestine, it comes up as Israel. Israel. Um, and so there's this tension between kind of determining your um, geographical location as a Palestinian and having to consistently explain to people that, hey, Pal it is Palestine. Like, yes, it's not necessarily 
um, name labeled as that on Google Maps, but that is the result of over 74 years of occupation and ethnic cleansing. But before we do get into that, I kind of just wanted to um, lay some sort of context as to what the Palestinian occupation is. Yeah. Um, to kind of paint a picture as to like mm-hmm. what Mahmoud Darwish is talking about when he's speaking about exile. And so a lot of people like to start at um, in 1948. The, a lot of people like to start from 1948, rather, which is where the height of um, the ethnic cleansing project began. Um, and so 1948 is referred to as the Nekba, which translates to the catastrophe in Arabic. Um, on May 2nd, over 750,000 Palestinians were um, involuntarily dispossessed of their lands. Um, over 53 villages were burned down to the ground. Um, and Palestinians were forced to evacuate essentially um and so they were this basically produced a large number of internally displaced persons um and an internally displaced person just like technically speaking as a person was displaced within the bounds of their land or within the bounds of their um, national country yeah um and so essentially the nekba kind of created the the catalyst for a continuum of ethnic cleansing and a continuum of just degrading the palestinian identity to begin with um, under the pretense that um, the Jewish minority at the time, obviously, was basically promised a land by um, the British. So in 1917, the Balfour Declaration was signed, and basically what this declaration did was it granted um, the those who suffered from Jewish persecution in Eastern Europe access to the quote-unquote Holy Land. Yeah. Um, and so it kind of negates the entire aspect that there is a pre-existent civilization only that palestinians were thriving there you know during the ottoman empire we were also um thriving up until the um ottoman empire fell even after right during 1917 palestine was kind of deemed as a state that wasn't able to self-govern yeah and so it's formally known as like the british mandate um and so the balfour declaration is just is, is just an alternative name for it but whether or not you kind of um, allude to it through the Balfour Declaration or the British Mandate, it's still a political um, a point. It's still a political sign of degradation with respect to Palestinian identity. That's why I'm I'm pointing to the geographical location of Palestine, Palestine, because you refer to the Holy Land, right? Right, and the Holy Land is um, located there, right? So, so most people. Although they're like, oh, the Holy Land is in Israel, right? But it's but it it actually is in Palestine. Palestine. That's why more people get it confused. So when people are talking about um, Christianism, Christianity, um, Christianity, <laughs> Christianity, um, they they um they only refer to Israel and not Palestine. Yeah, and this is something that really tends to dilute the Palestinian Palestinian identity um, just as a whole. Because a lot of people, when they look at the Palestinian-Israeli conflict or the occupation of Palestine and whatnot, they tend to think of it as a religious conflict between Muslims, Christians, and Jews. Yeah. When that is really not necessarily what it is. Yeah. Um, Yes, there is a heavily contended upon area being Jerusalem. That there are there are there's the Muslim quarter, the Jewish quarter, and the Christian quarter within um, Jerusalem, um, and there's a very heavy, there's a very heavy religious aspect to that. But when you look at the macro scale, the yeah. picture of what is actually happening in Palestine, where you have a military who is well over equipped with weapons of mass destruction, 
with um, tanks, um, firearms, um, kind of fighting against a Palestinian identity that has nothing near close to that. Um, it is an inherently disadvantaged playing field that is being consistently painted as something that it's not, right? So yes, there is a religious aspect to this, but that is not the whole picture. Um, and so I kind of just wanted to relate it back to yeah. Mahmoud Darwish and the poem itself. Um, and so essentially, something to also note here is that at the age of seven, um, so Mahmoud Darwish was born in 1941. So yeah. seven years before the Nakba happened in 1948. Mm -hmm. um, and so at the age of seven, he was also dispossessed of his land. He was dispossessed of his home. Yeah. Um, and he was essentially forced into exile. So he was uh, um, forced to out of his room, uh, out of his home, which um, brings us back to the poem, Who Am I Without Exile? So the next question is, what ex what is exile to you and how do you, how does uh, Darwish speak about it? Okay, so um, if one were to define the term exile, um, it's basically being denied entry into one's native country, mm -hmm. um, the, the denial of identity in the physical sense and denial of self-determination. Um, and so Mahmoud Darwish has basically revolved most of his poems, especially during like the 60s and um, 60s, 70s and 80s around his experience with exile. And there's um, a complete shift from his earlier poems to the poem that we're reading now, which is Who I Am Without Exile. Um, and so uh, essentially there's this one quote that really sticks out to me. Yeah. Um, and this isn't necessarily related to the poem per se, but it's what Mahmoud Darwish himself says about the ability that uh, the ability that poetry has in an era of such oppression and um, this oppression of self-determination or identity yeah. with respect to the Palestinian people. And so he says that poems can't establish a state but can establish a metaphorical homeland in the minds of the people. I think my poems have built some house, some houses in this landscape, right? And so here he's kind of explaining to his audience, to his readers, that through his poetry, although he has never necessarily had an extensive amount of time, living in Palestine without the threat of exile looming over him, he still created a metaphorical homeland in the mind in his mind and through the minds of into the minds of his people through into the minds of his readers and his audience through his poems. Yeah. Um and so as a Palestinian American who has never spent an extensive amount of time in Palestine, um going over three months, um I kind of read Mahmoud Darwish's poems with such awe that someone who was essentially under the threat of occupation since the age of seven has been able to um, paint Palestine in as if he has been there his entire life. And so um, in the poem, he he alludes a lot to water um, and there's a lot of repetition, a lot of alliteration with respect to who am I without exile, who am I yeah. without oppression, right? And so um, this kind of points to the question as to what is what is Palestinian identity without oppression? What is Palestinian identity without displacement? What is Palestinian identity without aggression and um, really militarized force? Yeah. And so um, what Mahmoud Darwish really attempts to do here um, is that he attempts to really, uh, I guess, convey himself and his personal experiences by asking the question of who am I without exile, forcing the reader to literally think about um, how oppression uh, seemingly um a seemingly negative concept how such a negative concept can be directly affiliated with determining you, who you are in your self-determination okay because if there's one thing that is really really consistent with um the oppression of palestinians it is that we are consistently denied the right to determine who we are 
right? So every single actor, whether a state, a state actor, a political, a political actor, or an economic actor, whatever the case may be, always has a thought as to who Pal Palestinians are or what we are um, in terms of um, whether it be the Oslo Accords, where the West Bank was divided into three areas, um, whether it be Palestinian um, leaders misrepresenting Palestinians. We never necessarily have an opportunity to say who we are. Um, and so our identity is always communicated through oppression. Um, and so yeah. that's what Derwish does through his poem. So um, so you obviously covered um, like um, how does he relate to exile? He was already in exile. So um, he used poetry as his platform, right? To express um, his oppression. So no, as the, uh, why was he, he was known as the poet of exile? Um, can you um, elaborate a little bit on that? Right. Okay. So um, Mahmoud did move to he moved to a couple of places. Yes. Yes. So Mahmoud Darwish is known as um, the poet of exile, where um, this is kind of also based off of his later life, where he moved between Moscow, Cairo, Beirut, Tunis, or Tunisia, um, and Paris, where he found residence. Yeah. Um, and so between during 1995. Um, he also lived between Amman and Ramallah. So Amman is just a city in Jordan and Ramallah is also a city in Palestine. Um, and so the consistent relocation um, that happened during the time of his life, during his lifetime is kind of telling to how he really, I guess, encompasses the narrative of exile. And he also encompasses the narrative of consistent relocation, which is also a consistency um, or a continuity within Palestinian identities. Um, and so the really ironic thing about this uh, is that you would assume that a Palestinian would say that their identity is closely tied to the state of Palestine itself. Yeah. Um, but if he were to ask an, a Palestinian-American, um, like myself, for instance, or basically anyone else who has experienced or has learned remotely about what the political landscape of Palestine is, um, chances are that they'd say that their identity is wrapped around the political identity of Palestine and how that is heavily contended upon. And that's exactly what... Um, Mahmoud Darwish attempts to paint, uh, and so when he consistently asks who I am, who am I without exile, uh, exile, and when he shifts between first person and second person, um, when he shifts from who am I to then um, saying we have become two friends of the strange uh, creatures in the clouds yeah. and whatnot, he's kind of turning to his audience and he's saying that we have some sort of connection. You are listening to my story as someone who has been consistently displaced, who has consistently um, had to relocate, um, whether it be for educational purposes, but the backdrop was always the Nakba. The backdrop was always the oppression that he faced as a Palestinian who was forced to literally see his political identity shift from a independent Palestinian state to one that is under heavily, heavily militarized occupation. Um, yeah. And so he's known as the poet of exile because um, he has managed to make exile his internal, his makeshift home. So as someone who has never necessarily had a permanent place in a country for for um, a long amount of time, he makes his home through that the continuity of change. Yeah. So obviously throughout any poem, any person that goes through any form of change would know that the only form of, the only sense of consistency is the fact that you will experience change. Like that is the only guarantee in life. Yeah. Um, but that is kind of hyper fixated when you are a Palestinian when you're a Palestinian living during the Nakba, when you're a Palestinian also living during the 1967 war, uh, when you're a Palestinian living through the Oslo Accords, um, you have the the 
political degradation of your identity. And then you come to the realization that um, the only way you can express that is through kind of accepting the fact that that's the only continuity with respect to your identity, right? You will always be deemed as not a native Palestinian, but as a Palestinian who has been who has been susceptible to consistent relocation. Yeah. Um, and so in it, during his, while he was writing his poems, there's actually another um, infamous piece, um, which is called On This Land or Ala Hadi Al-Ard in Arabic. Mm-hmm. And so what this poem communicates um, is it kind of paints a picture as to what Palestine is to Mahmoud Darwish and also what who, who and what Palestine is to other Palestinians. And so my favorite line from that poem um, is, which in English translates to um, on this land, um, the mother of all beginnings and the mother of all ends, mm-hmm. which basically comes full circle and um, is a testament to saying that Palestine is the mother, is where things begin, but is also where things end. Mm-hmm. You start your life in Palestine, you have this vision of starting a family, um, for instance, owning a house in Haifa, Yafa, or Akka. Um, but then you come to the realization that, hey, I can't do that because there is a militarized occupation going on. There is a an apartheid wall longer and taller than the Berlin Wall of Germany. Um, and there is always going to be a this looming thought over my mind that whatever I have as a Palestinian is always under threat of being dispossessed. And so that is essentially what um, I think to my personal experience and to what I've read about Mahmoud Darwish he attempts to paint throughout his poems about exile. I'm not a Palestinian and um, I cannot really, um, you know, I cannot really own a Palestinian experience ever, but I'm not an exile also, but I am an immigrant, right? Um, so I I relate to, to his words when kind of saying like when you said, um, home is to change, right? You said something, right? Yeah. Being an immigrant too and coming from another country and you know, where you're coming from, right? Even though I'm not an exile, I do share some of those feelings with, um, with Darish, right? Um, and I can't imagine being uh, displaced so many times and having to move to other, I can't imagine. But I wanted to know, I wanted to ask you, how do you think he got through that? I know you said that he made change, he made, he made home through changes, but how do you think some, someone like that, you know, who's, who's been through so much trauma, be able to hold it together and make it through? I wouldn't necessarily say that, um, with respect to kind of displacement in Palestine, um, and a bunch of authors also allude to this. Palestinians are exposed to the extremes of their emotions at such a young age. And so Mahmoud Darwish um, faced ethnic cleansing and faced dispossession at the age of seven. Mm-hmm. And so in other states, in other countries across the world, the age of seven consists of something totally different, right? Yeah. You're not necessarily thinking, will my family have the house that we currently live in? Um, or will we lose it because of a militarized occupation? Will we lose it because of an ultranationalist ideology that holds one group or that prioritizes one group over another, right? So at the age of seven, Mahmoud Darwish was exposed to a political form of degradation um, that really forced him to, it rocked his entire world um, to the point where he was, he, con- he was consistently, he consistently relocated himself 
Um, and yes, he was able to ground himself educationally speaking, and he was able to find some sort of, um, I want to say, commonalities with respect to his political identity by joining the Palestinian Liber Liberation Organization, um, by kind of being a beacon for cultural appreciation with respect to Palestinians. Um, but that's that's kind of the that's kind of the success story of one person, um, like Mahmoud Darwish, who has been able to create such an unforgettable career, like although he did pass away in 2008 because of complications and heart surgery while he was in Houston, Texas. Um, after he passed, you know, um, yeah. after he passed his um, his poetry and all of his works were are still praised and they are still praised today and it is a form of resistance. Mm -hmm. And so I just to answer your question about um, how he kind of managed it, I don't want to say that he was able to kind of manage the trauma that comes with displacement and yeah. comes with the uprooting of your entire identity. Um, but what he was essentially able to do was accept it, right? Yeah. And so, um, well, sorry, you're going to go. Oh, it's okay. Um, I think he kind of, he managed it through his poem, through his work. Right. I mean, I wouldn't say that, yes, topically speaking, he did like manage and he did come to accept the fact that he is in exile and the fact that he will not see Palestine the way he saw it in since 1941 or since he was displaced at the age of seven. Um, but I also want to say that, um, and in response to my earlier point of being exposed to the extremes of your emotions at such a young age, um, that is really something that not a lot of people are exposed to. Yeah. Even when they when they kind of like grow up, their emotional intelligence is also influenced by like the what they're exposed to. And so um, Mahmoud Darwish's experience growing up in Palestine, um, being exposed to the extremities of displacement with respect to the um, political context of 1948 is something that not every person sees. Uh, okay. Yeah. And so this kind of also goes back to paint a not so pretty picture of what Palestinian identity composes of to the average Palestinian, right? Yeah. So when you when you meet someone who who says that they are Palestinian or who is from Palestine, chances are or one hundred percent of the time they will bring up the occupation at some sort at at any moment. Yes. Right. And so that kind of consistently saying that my name is Miriam, I am Palestinian American, I am Palestinian, my family is from blah 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 is a form of self is a form of self-determination that I have in the United States and that I know that I will not face any retribution for. Mm -hmm. I will not face any consequences for expressing my own self-determination that any other Palestinian who lives in Palestine who has been confronted with apartheid walls with military checkpoints doesn't necessarily get the chance to fully express because yes, you can say you're Palestine in the United States, yeah, but you also have the privilege of pressing pause on whatever is happening in Palestine, right? You have the privilege of leaving social media when you feel uncomfortable to what you are exposed to, right? Yeah. But when you're in Palestine and when you travel between military checkpoints while also saying I'm Palestinian, that that self-identity is something that is also contended upon because you have you are confronted with the challenge of military checkpoints with the consistent reminder that there is an occupying power, with the consistent reminder that there are states internationally that support a state that is committing over 60 human rights and international law violations combined. And so the one thing that I wanted to shed light on through this poem, um, and actually the reason why I wanted to even come onto the show was to speak about the current context of Palestine. Yeah, um, I'm so sorry. I had a question about that. Uh, what are some prominent themes within the poem and how does that, you know, bring you to modern day Palestine or what? Yeah, um, so some prominent themes kind of just like shifting away from exile 
um, because we've pretty much talked about that a lot, um, is just the theme of establishing your own identity and establishing your self-determination when every other state attempts to define it for you. Right. Yeah. Um, and so the one thing that I think differentiates Palestine from probably every single room, every other country in the world is that um, there are, while there is a shared identity with respect to who Arabs are in the Middle East, yeah, being Palestinian is different from being Arab, right? Oh, and so um, as a Palestinian myself, I coincide with Palestinian on in the political sense where I have the freedom to discipline my resistance against the occupation. I have the freedom to come on to shows like this and speak about um, important poems, important impo- sorry, important figures, important mm-hmm. poets, and share um, such powerful um literacy for the intention of also shedding light on what's currently happening in palestine because i think that if you were to present this poem yeah to someone in palestine in 2023 yeah they would say that there's literally no difference from what mahmoud did wow from what mahmoud that we wrote during let's say 1973 to what is currently happening in 2023 can you tell us a little bit more of what's happening today of course um where do i start um <laughs> so this year alone, and it has been, I want to say, six weeks since 2023 has started, over 35 Palestinians have um, died as a result of the wow. militarized occupation of Palestine. And so on January 26th, there was a massacre that occurred in the Janine refugee camp. And so Janine is a city located in the West Bank. Um, the Janine refugee camp was founded in 1953 by Palestinian refugees who have been displaced as a result of the Nakba in 1948. Yeah. And so currently today, it houses over 30,000 30, Palestinian refugees, right? And so just through that line alone, you can you can pos- probably conclude that the, the, the Janine refugee camp, something that was supposed to be a temporary camp in 1953, has turned into something that is permanent Yeah. now that it houses over 30,000 Palestinians. But... Um, on January 26th, there was a militarized raid initiated by the Israeli occupation force where they shot nine Palestinians, or more than nine Palestinians, but nine Palestinians died. And one of those Palestinians um, were, was a 61-year-old woman while sitting right next to the window of her home, be, pretty much looking at what was happening right outside of her house, um, not knowing that there was a bullet with her name written on it preemptively by an Israeli occupation force, by a soldier from Israeli occupation force. Um, and so, essentially, so the bullet had her name on it? No, that's just kind of just like a figurative... Oh, I'm sorry, stop saying. I'm so sorry. This this is just a figurative way of saying that um, she was someone who was kind of like looking out to see what was happening literally right next to her home, all while she was also being targeted um, by the same aggressor, it being in the military. So a six-year-old... Oh, my old Six-year-one. Yeah. Well, I'm... I'm... I'm so sorry to hear that. I can't imagine if something like that was happening in my country, how I, I wouldn't have been able to, you know, rest. Right. And the issue here is um, that that wasn't the only form of aggression that was shown during that massacre. There was also the child, the children's ward of a hospital was targeted with tear gas. Children's hospital. I, the children's ward of a hospital. So like the children's department of a hospital was targeted um, by... Tear, through tear gas and so that injured um and that led to a lot of respiratory injuries to whoever was inside of the hospital um along with a lot of children who were also inside oh my of that hospital and children i mean right and so 
internationally speaking or just speaking through a human rights perspective, yes. the concept of harming children in any form of war or in any form of aggression is a... It's inhumane. It's inhumane. It's inhumane and it's a human rights and international law violation. Yeah, and um, um, I have a son, right? So whenever I hear, as a mother, whenever I hear children are being hurt or children is part of something awful, I, I can't, I, I have to say something or um, do something about it. When you target children, you know, our future, right? Right? Then there is no forgiving, right? And uh, it's, it's, it's a crime. Right. And children are innocent. Exactly. And so um, this is something that is an innate violation of... I, yeah, human rights. Human rights. It's all about human rights. Right. And um, I guess the fact that, or the notion that a militarized, um, I guess you could say, the militarized component of this occupation would target people who don't necessarily have the chance to start to wrap their head around what is currently moving around them. Right. Um, it's something that kind of points to how innately wrong this entire occupation is, and that is something that Palestinians have been trying to implore for the past 74 years, almost 75 years. Um, and so with respect to what I was saying about Mahmoud Darwish himself, if you if you were to read out his poem in Palestine or anywhere where um, the notion of Palestine is pretty much known, nobody would be able to differentiate between the time periods just because of the consistency um, of the rhetoric that is currently being posed by not only the military in Israel, but also by the government itself. Yeah. So um, on December 29th of last year, Israel's most far-right government was elected into office. And so you have an ultra-nationalist government basically endorsing mil the military and endorsing the settler population who have basically been affiliated with the process of settler colon colonialism, with the process of dispossessing pal Palestinians of their homes. They are glorified to take part in acts of violence that result in massacres like this. And so this is not the only massacre, right? Um, in Nablus, which is another populated Palestinian city in the West Bank, 11 Palestinians were shot killed, were shot dead, right? And so you have, this is also not, not the only year where things like this have been, have been happening. It has been happening um, every year since yeah. the occupation basically began, right? And so 1948 is a place where people like to start because it shows the amount of aggression and the amount of oppression that a militarized a military is capable of doing so in 1948 you don't necessarily have access to all of these um i guess tools that can cause yeah large scale of of destruction within a society and yet they were able to cause 750,000 palestinians to leave their homes and then turn around and say that hey but this area of land was empty so we just came in and took whatever was empty yeah but you're not acknowledging the context of why it was empty right you have people who came and quite literally um, uprooted Palestinians from their own homes, right? Mm -hmm. Not only homes, but also cultural infrastructure, um, schools, basically anything that pointed to the Palestinian identity was was a direct target of this occupation. Wow. Um, uh, I'm so sorry to hear this. I did not know about it. And this is why it's so important to keep having those kind of conversations. Right. Right. So, um, people out there know what's going on and um i know there are refugee uh, refugees Palest palestinians everywhere palestine yeah palestinian refugees everywhere um so uh i am shocked 
to hear about it, um, children and women being killed, you know. Um, I'm so sorry about this. I I don't know what to say, <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, I don't know what to say when I hear children are, you know, being abused. And um, I don't know what to say, but I hope um, this poem and I hope you speaking out about it sheds some, some light on the issue. Right, and it really does. Um, I know that any form of advocation or advocacy is something that is could really help for yeah. the, the resistance against the occupation because a lot of the time we're demonized for pointing out the truth and we're demonized for pointing out the facts um, that people's lives, whether or not they're Palestinian, are mm-hmm. at stake. Their um, entire whatever they built is being um, negated because of the preemin because of the supposed preeminence of a certain ethnic group, right? Um, and so I kind of wanted to thank you for bringing me on here, giving me the opportunity to yeah. speak about um, Mahmoud Darwish and his all everything that he had to say, not only about Iqbal but about Palestine as well. So thank you so much. No, I, it's 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 been my pleasure. And um, before we wrap this up, um. Do you have any questions for me? Do you have any comments, anything you would like to say um, to me or to fellow Palestinians? I guess any Palestinians who are listening, um, don't be... I guess to any Palestinians who are listening, I would just say to keep resisting, to keep make to keep making any and every effort to illustrate your opposition against what is innately wrong, regardless of whatever... Um, criticisms you may be facing um regardless of whatever dehumanization that you're confronted with always make the effort to stand your ground and stand firm in what you believe in because indeed you know just as a palestinian american myself although i have never necessarily lived in palestine for more than three months i have still been exposed to the realities of apartheid um and so to kind of make it known that there are over 5.5 million palestinians who are at risk every day of losing their lives because of this occupation, just to keep being consistent in your advocacy and to not lose sight of what is actually true. Thank you. Um, uh, I'm so sorry this has been happening, Miriam, to your to your people, and I sympathize with you. Thank you. Um, just let me know in any shape or form how I can support you um, um, to keep doing the work that you're doing. Um, I had a enlightening enlightening time <laughs> speaking with you um i did not know a lot of these things were going on i'm an american right in my own bubble don't know what's happening outside of america but um i mean we get news every day but we don't get irrelevant news right exactly hello all right this is a free country i can see whatever i want all right so <laughs> um um, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for discussing Who Am I Without Exile with me, um, your inspiration, your hopes, um, um, and thank you for inspiring others to embrace their heritage. And as I always say at the end of this show, I hope you stay inspired. I hope you stay in the spirit of love, right? No matter what life throws at you, whether um, you are in Palestine, whether you are in Haiti, whether you are in America, I hope with the you stay in the spirit of love because with love you can make it to the other side of anything love conquers all love will always win um this has been poetry talk brought to you by ecstasy radio and i am the main poet thank you for having me thank you so much